Welcome to Progress Over Perfection. I'm your host, Russell Fugit, and I'm just going to say before we get started how proud I am of my wife, Sila Fugit. This is her podcast. This is her story. This is her journey, and I'm just honored to be her guide on this journey. So we're going to start off in episode one, just being a little biographical, but also we're going to start off talking about why we're here. So I'm not going to get in the way of that. Welcome to Progress Over Perfection. Let's make progress. Let's get going. Welcome to Progress Over Perfection. I'm your host, Russell Fugit, and I'm here with my lovely wife, Sila Fugit. Progress Over Perfection. Sila, why are we here? What what are we doing? Thank you for asking. (laughs) So I felt for a while that I should start a podcast to start sharing some of the things that I have experienced, that I've been through, um, some of my upbringing, some of the challenges that I went through as a young adult, um, and now as a woman in my 40s, finally coming to the realization that God loves me despite the mess that I've been in, Mm. and that it is okay to talk about it, and actually talking about it helps other women find freedom to be able to talk about what they've been through and find healing and freedom through that. So that is the goal of this podcast, to share and be vulnerable in hopes that somebody else will find freedom and it will bless them. Well, that's beautiful. And and I, obviously I'm here as your partner and, and to, to encourage you in that. So, I mean, the whole idea of perfection is so new to me in terms of how you've described and how we've talked about it for, especially in recent months. Do you think this is something that a lot of women struggle with in some way? Definitely. Most okay. definitely. Okay. I mean, let's just start with social media mm. and what women portray. Like you've always told me it's the highlight reel, but it wasn't until you told me that, that it really made me sit back and realize like, no, this isn't real life. This is people's highlights. They're not sharing the big argument that they may have had with their spouse or the trouble that they're dealing with within their family. They're sharing their highlights of kids going to school and look at my vacation and things are so wonderful. When let's be honest, guys, it is not that wonderful. Life is tough. Life is hard. Hard. And so I have come to a point that I am strong enough within myself. I'm in the best emotional and spiritual place that I've ever been in in my life. And this is not the destination. This is the journey. I am on that journey, but I am ready to start sharing because I want other women to know and to see that perfection is not real life. Let's get real. Now, the timing of this is so, you know, God's in it. From where we sit and you can call it a coincidence i don't believe in coincidence but you have the she is free conference coming up and and i think that's just a wonderful opportunity of course uh your friend irene rollins invited you to be in leadership tell us a little bit about she is free and what's coming up in october yes so in october there is a conference called she is free it is in new york city and i believe it's the seventh and eighth or sixth and seventh i can find out exactly um, for you but it is a conference for women um, that are just searching for freedom in their life and freedom from anything it could be from drugs alcohol codependency insecurities trauma that you've been through anything perfectionism perfectionism a thousand percent it's for anything that you feel like is weighing you down and let's be honest we all have something that we would like to be free from We all have something that we are tired of carrying around. So anyone who's listening and would like to come, feel free to hit me up. Um, I know there was a a sale going on, but um, if you get in contact with me, I'll be happy to give you more information about that. 
New York City, the second weekend in October. Yes. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So let's share a little bit about us, just so people know. Oh, okay. So yeah. Russell and I have been married. Everybody already knows who I am, no? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <Sir>. <laughs> Please. We've been married six and a half Did years. Did you just need that extra time so you could no, calculate? No, okay, no, I, I just wanted to know. I want people to get a feel, an authentic feel of the, of the vibe, you know, that we have. Yes. You know. So six and a half years, I've made it. Years. I haven't gotten kicked out no, yet. No, not yet. No, mm -mm. not yet. Mm -mm, not yet. Um, we have two little girls. Yeah. One is four and she's in pre-K and the other one is seven and she is starting second grade. So we are in the throes of parenthood too, um, which is another kind of topic we will discuss down the road of perfection and thinking that I needed to be a perfect mom and how things fell apart in the beginning because I was not a perfect mom and I put a lot of unnecessary pressure and stress on myself. Yeah. And we'll dig into that, but we're very thankful for our two little girls. Um, and, and just as a side note, um, on the weekend of the She Is Free conference, she will be free of her children for that weekend. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so so, free. so uh, I'll be I'll be on, on serious dad duty for like two or three days or something, four days. Maybe even, four. Maybe, I might yeah. see a show on Sunday. Yeah, you know? yeah, so I mean, I'm in New York. Gonna, it, it could get interesting. We'll see what the podcast sounds like upon her ret return, if there even is still a podcast in October. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we survived that weekend, but no, that's that's great, and and we're excited. Um, I know Celia, you've worked in dentistry for over well, your whole career. You've been in dentistry in various yes. roles. Mm -hmm. I've been an entrepreneur. We'll get to that and how that's impacted our our marriage. But we certainly want to start this podcast really, and this throughout this podcast really is centering my wife and her journey. You can check out my podcast if you want to know more about me, leadership, legacy, and love. But this is Sela's podcast, and I'm just going to be her guide on the journey, and in you know, in partnership, and that's really how I've, in one of the ways I've approached our marriage and our relationship, um, is to be in partnership in that way. So yes, and he's going to be here to hold my hand because, yeah. folks, let me be really honest, this is not easy for me, but I feel very called to do this, so I am doing it. But it is tough for me to open myself up and show all of the broken parts of me. It's not how I was raised. And so it's definitely coming out of my comfort zone. But if I can encourage one person or help one person get through something, it is all worth it for me. All right. Well, let's do it. Let's get to it. Again, this is my, my wife's show. So we really want to start again at the beginning and kind of get, you know, a bit of a biographical sketch in the foundation. So we're going to start at the beginning, going in the, in the Wayback Machine. So uh, where where were you born? So I was born in Washington, D.C. We actually lived in Hyattsville, Maryland, which was about five minutes outside of the D.C. line um, of Washington, D.C. and Maryland. I am the middle child of five of Ooh. us. I have two older sisters and I have two younger brothers. So I am right in the middle mm. and I am probably what most people would consider the typical middle child. I have definitely have some of those middle child issues, um, born to two loving parents. Um, my parents were ended up married for over 50 years, um, before my dad passed. So was raised, um, in a loving home with a big family. So tell us about what happened, uh, Early in your life, there was a, a traumatic uh, incident that occurred. Yes. Tell us about that. Yeah. So that's why I think it was a good idea for us to start from the beginning because I've had to overcome some things very early in life. Um, when I was 17 months old, I was severely burned. Uh, we lived in a old 
house in Hyattsville um, with a like ceramic porcelain claw foot tub, these old, you know, antique. Now they're pretty popular and people put them in their homes. Um, but the ones that, that we had was quite old. And as well as I didn't realize this in, until recently, I thought um, something was wrong with our hot water. Um, it was actually that back then there were no temperature controls on hot water um, systems. So when my mom filled up the tub with hot water, it, um, she hadn't added any cold and it was extremely hot. I ran into the bathroom as she was getting unrobed to take a bath in my footed PJs that zipped all the way up. I'm sure some of you remember those. They have like the vinyl looking kind of feet to them. And I jumped in and my mom turned around, grabbed me out, laid me on the bathroom floor and tried to unzip my PJs. And as she started unzipping, she realized she was unzipping and peeling off my skin. Um, she frantically called 911. They came. She trans she was transported with me to Children's Hospital. Um, and with one hour of my burn, my body had swollen to two times its size. Um, and it was very, very terrifying for my mom. My dad was not with us. He ended up meeting my mom. Um, at the hospital. Obviously, you know, my dad was furious with my mom because how could any good mother or any good parent allow something like this to happen to their child? Um, and it was really, it was hard for them. I went into the intensive care unit. I had deep third degree burns on 50% of my body. Um, I ended up staying at the hospital for an entire month, 30 days to be exact. Um, but it wasn't until about two and a half weeks into my stay that I finally responded to them. And that was really tough on my mom with talking to her um, because she blamed herself so much. And, you know, here I was, you know, completely burned, not responding, not smiling, nothing. Um, but after about two weeks, I did respond with a smile and kind of was a little more playful with them. Um they had to teach me how to walk again. They had to do skin grafts. I, they had to take me down um, for bath every day where they would remove the galls and then scrub my raw skin, you know, put the medication on it and then wrap me back up. And my mom said that every time that they would come, I would scream, no bath, no bath and, and be like almost hysterical. Um, around right before the 30 days, my mom had begged and begged if they could take her home. And they said, you know, yes, but you have to learn how to do this. You have to learn how to remove these galls and scrub her skin. And I screamed. I mean, it was, imagine having a small burn. I've had a small burn in the kitchen cooking. I can't imagine. And luckily, thankfully, hun, I don't remember. I don't remember any of this. And I thank God for that because it obviously was very traumatic. Um, my mom, they did let me go home shortly after Easter um, and my mom had shared that on Easter that my dad and my older sisters um, had come to the hospital and we had an Easter dinner in the cafeteria. And that that affected me. Like, I didn't know there's some details I didn't know until recently because it's not something that we really talk about within my family. It's not, um, it's not something we sit around and discuss. My mom didn't let any pictures be taken during that time. So there's really not much pictures of me. Um, during that time. But I realized this really affected the whole family. And it was really probably tough on all of them. Um, they investigated my parents for child abuse, because most of the kids that were in the burn unit 
at Children's Hospital were parent-inflicted. There were kids with cigarette burns down their back and curling iron marks all over their body. Um, and so they did, you know, look into making sure. And, and that was really tough for my parents. Um, my mom had shared that I was never left alone. My mom would do days all day at the hospital. My father would go to work. He'd come home, shower, and then he'd come down to the hospital and he'd do all night. So that with two kids already at home and my mom was in her third trimester with my brother. So I, I can only imagine, you know, how hard that was on my parents. And now being a parent, hearing her retell me some details and making sure I have the details correct, it really affected me. I cried when she sent me um, some of the details because it just feels so different when you're a mom. And I, I just can't imagine what my parents went through. Um, but finally, after 30 days, they did let me go home. My mom told me there was many, many outpatient appointments and treatments and all of that stuff. And then by the time my brother was born, um, they had a crib on my dad's side of the bed where my dad would have to help take care of the newborn baby that just came home. And then my mom had a toddler bed on her side of the bed because I could not sleep without being near her and actually holding her hand all night long. Um, I was terrified um, of any type of response vehicle, an ambulance, a police, anything, a fire truck that I heard, I would flip out. I mean, she said it was really bad. I would start shaking. I would start vomiting. I would think they were coming for me. It was just really, really terrifying um, as a child. But I will say um, they told my parents that I may never walk again and that I would have scars for the rest of my life. And my dad had so much faith. As my mom put it, my dad had to carry the faith for both of them because my mom didn't at that time. She was so distraught that she didn't believe that God could heal me. Um, and he did. And it's it's shocking because when I tell people I've had, had these burns, they're like, I don't see scars. And they are, there are some, they're on my feet, they're on my wrist. They come out um, more when I'm sunbathing or I've been out in the sun. That's when they tend to come out more. But um, God has definitely been faithful. And as my mom called me, I'm her her miracle girl which touched me so much that that's how she sees me. But it's definitely a miracle that I have performed all life duties and, you know, walking and never really being someone who is visibly scarred. Yeah. That's, I mean, so third, deep third degree burns mm -hmm. over half of your body roughly. Yep. Yeah. And, and I would say if, if, you know, if you were never told, you wouldn't know, you would not know, you would not know. Mm -hmm. well, so it is truly amazing how, God works how the human body at that age of 18 months, you know, works as well in terms of being able to heal heal you. I know as, if you were burned that way as an adult, it would be, I'm sure to be much different even with today's technology. So of course, you, you know, you mentioned there your father's faith in his, in his uh, devoted prayer for your full recovery, which, which of course happened. Um, you know, tell us about how, you know, your family came to find Christ and, of course, you know, the, the broader role it paid, played after that incident and what the broader role it played in your family. Sure. So my parents were actually new Christians. Um, my parents were not Christians when they were dating or right when they got married. My two oldest sisters kind of have like hippier names or family name. And then once they had me and my younger brothers, they named us more 
Bible names, if you will. So um, they were very new in their faith and they experienced a tough thing. Their pastor of their church at that time, um, just to give you a glimpse into some of the church environment that we um, grew up in, the pastor of the church came to the hospital to visit my parents and said to my father, you have sin in your life. And that's why God let this happen to your daughter. Mm. And my father said, that is not the Bible that I read. And I am not accepting that. And it was, it wasn't a loving Christian environment. It was a, you're wrong. And, you know, God's trying to make you suffer for this. And I, I'm so glad that my dad at such a young Christian, you know, in his walk with the Lord, that he had the ability to recognize that that was not true. And that was not of God. And that was not the Bible that he read. Um, and so he was pretty, pretty strong in his faith. Um, but how they came to that is kind of crazy, y'all. Because let me tell you, my oldest sister, they let her get on a church bus at like four years old <laughs> by herself or five something really young and go to church. And this bus picked her up and then they brought her back and she had a great time. And so my parents were like, let's go check out the church. Um, and they did. And so that's what started um, their journey of faith. And then by the time that I was born, they were, you know, starting to learn, you know, a lot of things about God and starting to get involved in the church. Um, they ended up leaving that church because it obviously wasn't probably the place for them. Um, it was uber strict too. Um, I remember you couldn't wear dress. I mean, you couldn't wear pants. You had to wear dresses. And I think the pastor came over one day surprised to visit them. And we had pants on and mom like brought us back in the house and get your dresses on um, type of a thing. So they Gosh. eventually, yeah, that, <laughs> that was wild. Um, they eventually left that. And then they started attending Assemblies of God Church, which is Pentecostal, also strict, but not as strict. Like at least we could wear pants and jeans and things like that. Um, but we did end up being raised in a more of a Pentecostal environment than in that strict, no pants environment. <laughs> no, no, no pants. <laughs> Dresses, no pants. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Um, so, I mean, tell us about more about, you know, what's, what was like, you know, growing up in the Assemblies of God church. So, honestly, there were some really good times. I, I don't want to... Um, you know, just be like, oh, it was horrible. Um, there were definitely some things I saw and the the way it raised me in the spirit of perfection that are very unhealthy that I now in my 40s are having to unlearn and undo. Um, it was a church environment that everything was perfect. It was big hair. It was a ton of makeup. It was the best clothes, like top of the line Nordstrom, you know, and back then in the eighties and nineties, like, you know, that was, that was the, the big thing to have big hair. So yeah. Big hair. You had the, um, the shoulder, shoulder pads. pads. Yes. <laughs> oh my shoulder pads. Definitely. Definitely had the shoulder pads. So church was very unrealistic to me. It was even at a young age, it was, it was fake. It wasn't real. It was, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't tell them you can't, you, you do this. You know, I even remember my father was a smoker. That was definitely against. You couldn't drink. You couldn't smoke. You couldn't dance. Um, there were so many rules that, that were around the church that were trying to keep you 
holy. Um, but my dad was a smoker. He smoked a pipe. He smoked cigarettes. And we would like spray ourselves down with bath and body work spray or whatever kind of spray because we could not go into church smelling like smoke. I remember somebody finding out my dad smoked and there was even a conversation about him being removed from teaching like Sunday school because he was a smoker. I remember your dad talk, telling me about him teaching Sunday school, the, the boys. Yes. He taught boys. He, well, he taught what they called Royal Rangers, which would mm -hmm. be like Christian Boy Scouts. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And it became a whole to-do because he smoked cigarettes or a pipe. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a lot of like fake. It was a lot of present, even if your life is falling apart. Like I can remember mom throwing makeup bags in, in the backseat, like put some makeup on, you look a mess, you know, and it, it, you couldn't just be who you were. You had to be perfect. You had to present perfect. You had to look perfect. And I am still breaking those things today. I refer to dresses sometimes as church clothes. <laughs> and that we do not go to a church that you that people wear dresses like that. But our girls like look the prettiest on Sunday when we go to church. They do. But Paige is <laughs> over the church clothes. She wants jeans and a t-shirt or jean shorts. Natalie still does like her dresses. But I am having to undo that because church clothes does not mean a dress. Because what if someone doesn't have church clothes? Are we saying they can't come to church because they don't have church clothes? So it just was very um it was a very fake environment. And I realized that now I didn't realize that then. And then I was trying to keep up with that fake environment. I was trying to perform for, for the people um, and to be something that I wasn't and to never just be myself. But I do want to add that it wasn't all bad. I have great memories of growing up um, in a church environment with with five kids, my parents couldn't really afford extracurricular. So we got a lot of our extracurricular activities through the church. So I did every, every choir, every play, you know, kids camp, youth camp, you know, all of those things. And I've, I made friendships and had friends um, in those environments. But now as an adult, I can kind of step back and see it for what it was. Um, and now I'm just at a place that I'm undoing that. Okay. Now let's go back a little bit. Um, you know, tell us what it was like, uh, you know, growing up in the mansion, you know, with, with, with four brothers and sisters and your parents <laughs> in, in Hyattsville. Yes, the mansion in Hyattsville. Let me tell you about this mansion, y'all. It had three bedrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and there were seven of y'all with three bedrooms. So the girls got one, the boys got one, and then my parents got one. Wow. And we had one bathroom. Ooh. So I grew up. My sibling is in the bath or the shower. I'm coming in to use the bathroom. Oh, and I don't think I've ever told you this. Our washer and dryer was in the bathroom too. Wow. It was it was an interesting setup. So then my mom would come in and have to switch a lot load of laundry. Um, so yeah, it was it was interesting. I had uh, the plumbing was just on one wall. One so wall. We just had one bathroom wall. and then the kitchen was right down below it. The right? kitchen was, was right next to it. Oh, right next to it. <laughs> yes. Oh my God! Okay. Yes, it was a small house. It was a, it's a, it's a historic house in Hyattsville, it, correct? In terms it, of the historic yes. part of Hyattsville, mm -hmm. for those of you who might be familiar, or if you ever want to come see it, it's some interesting houses from what, it is early early nineteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it was a really close. Our yeah. backyard, guys, it was huge. I mean, like you could like joking all side the fence and the house basically touched each other we had no backyard you could barely get your big butt through between the house and the fence so it was a tiny luckily we um the apartments were across from us so there was like a little field so we could play in that field in front of our house but no no backyard and 
we were in tight quarters. Mm-hmm. So, so what was it? So tell us a more about what was it like being the middle child, the the youngest girl, and then you know the the old, the next oldest above your two brothers. What, what was that like being in that that middle position? Well, I want to say it it was great growing up in a home with a lot of people. You were never alone. You were never bored. There was always something going on. Somebody had somebody over. Um, we never locked our door too, so it was a revolving door. People would be extra people at the table all the time. We actually had like two dining rooms. We had a dining room and a breakfast nook. And they were like on two separate sides of the house as we got a little bit older and and moved like 15 blocks away. We needed, we finally got a bigger house when I was an early teenager. Um, And we had two breakfast areas or two um, eating areas. One was called the breakfast nook in the dining room because we always had so many people. We couldn't even fit them. When we first got together, I called it the sitcom because we'd be at our house. So my mother's from New York and I grew up with a single, I have a younger brother and sister, but I grew up with my mother, single child, my parents' oldest. So, you know, we had like downtown Silver Spring, we in an apartment building, we had locks on our door. They were always locked. So we did have people come over. My mom hosted Bible studies, as you know. But people never just walked in. So we'd be together, people just be walking in. So I started calling it the sitcom. Yep. Like it's just, you know, like you watch a sitcom and people just walk in, like Steve Urkel just walks in, or or I guess on Seinfeld, or if you watch Martin, Brother Man from the fourth floor, would just roll up in and get us make a sandwich, you know. That, well, people we, just the, walk in. We, we probably had the double sitcom because we had the back door that some kids would come through and then the front door that other people would come through. And it was just like a constant revolving cast, door. A cast, a true cast of characters. It true, truly was. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um so it was it was fun. I mean, Christmas mornings were always so memorable because there were so many of us. And so, you know, much five people and five, five kids and five toys, you know, all of us opening our toys. There was not a lack of things to play with for sure. Um, but it was tough too, if I'm being really honest. Um, my two older sisters were very close and I was the bratty little sister and they never included me. Third wheel. I was the third wheel, yeah. And young, I, you know, they'd color on the side of the house and then gang up and tell my parents it was me. And then I'm saying, it's not me. They're not believing me for one second. I was a little child. So um, that has been hard. And unfortunately that has not gotten better as I've gotten older. I've always, I've always not been included. Um, and that that's been hard. And I realize now that I made a lot of poor life choices because I always wanted to be included. And so I looked for um, groups that would include me. And sometimes they weren't probably the best group. But I always had this need to be included because I wasn't included with my older sisters. And then I had two little brothers and they weren't going to include me. I mean, they're too busy out playing kickball and building forts in the backyard. Like, and honestly, I probably didn't want to, I wouldn't have wanted to build a fort. That's for sure. But I, um, I now in my forties look back and realized how being a middle child and experiencing some of the things I did of especially like self-esteem and always wanting to be included has really shaped me as an adult. Um, so I'm working through that and, and unpacking that and finding better ways to deal with that. But it was tough at times. I spent a lot of time with my mom. My mom and I were very close. We still are. I adore my mom. We are just, she is my person is what I say to her all the time. Um, we, I would spend Friday nights and Saturday nights 
watching movies and doing nails or, you know, maybe she'd roll my hair so it looked good for church with my church dress. So, because, <laughs> you know, we had to keep up church the clothes. image. Church clothes. <laughs> uh, we had to keep up the image. So, yeah, a lot of my memories were more with my mom than they were. I don't have a lot of, you know, me and my sisters did this growing up or, you know, me and my brothers shared this activity. No, I was kind of alone a lot. Hmm. Interesting. So amongst seven, you know, four siblings, five, five of you, you felt alone a lot. Tell us what it was like growing up um, in Prince George's County and, you know, your, you know, your you know, relationship, you know, connecti connectivity to the African-American community. Right. So if you guys don't know us and don't, I'm black, she's white. Yep. That's so that's part of a part of our dynamic. So so well, Paige tells me I'm black in my soul. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's our oldest daughter. Our seven-year-old tells me I'm so, black in my okay. soul all the time. Um, I mean, growing up, so for people that don't know, Hyattsville is located in Prince George's County. And Prince George's County is, uh, well, was or probably still is. I think it still is. Yeah. yeah. Um, the wealthiest African-American county in the United States. Predominantly African-American. Predominantly African-American, yeah. yes. So growing up, and I went to public school for elementary and middle school. And it, it was normal for me to be in a classroom and be one of the only white kids. It wasn't anything out of the norm. Um, I wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. Let's put that out there right now. Um, I was dyslexic and I struggled and I had some learning problems. So yeah, I was in some of the classes with some of the bad kids that maybe they had learning problems or maybe they were just bad, you know, who knows. But I definitely, uh, my experience in school was a predominant, I was with predominantly black kids, black and brown kids. And that created comfort comfort for me i became very comfortable in those environments it did not affect me if i walked into a space and i was the only white person i i really did not pay much attention to that and i'm not saying i don't see color because i see color but it was what was my life so it wasn't out of the norm for me um so it also most of my friendships um were with more black or brown kids. I didn't have a lot of white friends. And, and also like going back to the church thing, the white kids had a little bit more money in the churches that we went to, or even, you know, in high school. They, so there was diversity in the churches you attended? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm, there okay. was. And I choose more, more choose to hung out with the black kids. Um, so, you know, I had friends and we would run around the church. We were probably supposed to be in the sanctuary during service and we'd be running around the back of the church and somebody in the leadership would find us and the way that they would treat those kids and and not me was shocking to me back then. I didn't know how to justify that in my mind. I didn't know who was a safe space to talk about that. I just had to deal with that on my own. But I got to tell you, I saw so many things that now in my 40s, I look back and I'm like, why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you say something? And no excuse. I just, I didn't know how. And I'm teaching my girls now how to stand up. But I remember hearing the N-word in church. I remember mm. them calling another boy in the youth group the N-word. I remember them mm. um, not having the same punishments for the white kids as they did for the black kids. For the same offense. For the same offense. Mm. Exact same offense. I remember us girls getting up to sing, a group of girls getting up to sing. They made the black girl get on her knees to make sure her skirt touched the floor, but they didn't make the white girl do that. They didn't make me do that because my dress was probably all the way down to my ankles, but still it, wa it wasn't the same rules. And I see that now. Um, I also saw a lot of now looking back, like, 
secretiveness and some sin is okay for some and some sin is not okay for the other. And we're going to humiliate some people when they have sinned. And then we're going to cover it up for others, depending on their rank in the church. If you're Mm -hmm. the, you know, if you're the pastor's son or something like that, we're not going to embarrass you. But if you're somebody else, we're going to, we're going to talk about it. We're going to tell everybody and, and, you know, kind of humiliate you into doing better. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that was productive growing up at all. Okay. Well, that's um, you know a great beginning to what we're doing here on progress over perfection. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add in terms of a, a biography. I know we'll get to some other things in the next episode, um, or do you want to transition to to some encouraging thoughts as we close out? Thank you. So yeah, I do want to leave you guys with some encouraging thoughts. So for moms, if you are a mom, don't be so hard on yourself. Give yourself grace for the mistakes that you've made. Um, If you are a child that has experienced trauma as a result of your parents, I really encourage you to try to have grace for them and offer forgiveness. Um, Because forgiveness is really for you and you feel so much better when you are no longer allowing them to live rent-free in your mind and in your spirit. Um, And lastly, if you have unaddressed trauma from your childhood or any time in your life, I really encourage you to seek counseling and start to work through it. It really makes a huge difference. Thanks, guys, for joining. Be blessed. Amen. Progress over perfection. That's how you make progress. Thanks for listening to episode one. We'll see you next time. Bye. I know many of you during this pandemic have been trapped inside and have been itching to travel. Well, we have the travel partner just for you. Axis Luxury Travel, a full service travel concierge company. Now, they've created unique experiences tailored to you, the modern traveler, and they're going to give you way more than you're going to find on any silly Google search. Right. So they've traveled the world and, of course, have been able to personally handpick luxury hotel collections experiences and so many other amenities just for you so they can make the recommendations with confidence. Why? Because they've experienced it. That simple. So whether you're a solo traveler, a romantic couple looking for a getaway, a family, a large group or a corporation, they can help you make your plans and get you the best deals. Check out AxisTravel.com. That's A-X-E-U-S Travel.com. Now back to progress over perfection.